Welcome everybody to Black Coffee and Theology. Welcome everybody back to the pod. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey to create Black Coffee and Theology. And if you are some of the blessed pilgrims who have left a rating and review, I love you. If you have not, redacted. (laughs) So go ahead and bless me and leave a good rating and review. Just do it. Go ahead. Go ahead and do it. So... I am joined on today's episode by the writer, historian, and theologian, Christian Crawford. And I am learning and being blessed to love this brother. And I love his ability to interrogate black traditions as well as hold so much of what we do sacred and he gets into the history and his writings and it's beautiful and he's able to mingle it with theology and he's not shy about uh, deconstructing but also holding the tension of the sacred and it's beautiful so I hope you're able to be blessed by the conversation that we have. Uh, There's so much more in the conversation that uh, won't necessarily make it onto the pod. Some of it will make it onto Patreon. There might be a part two, but it's a rich conversation. And I pray that you're blessed. Hmm. It's beautiful. Later in the pod, I am going to be doing a reading from... Uh, a theologian that I am learning so much about and being blessed by, Catherine Keller. So sit back and relax and enjoy this episode. You can, people who are listening to this can make any type of projection they want about socialism, capitalism. All I'm saying is there's got to be a certain type of revolution that provides full liberation to black people. Okay, everybody, welcome back to the pod. And I am joined by the wonderful Christian Crawford. Welcome, brother. <laughs> Man, thank you for having me. I am, I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, I've been following you for a while. And so just to be here is uh, a blessing for sure. No, so you are sure. you are a blessing. And I want to say that uh, I, again, I've met this brother through Twitter. I've, I've met so many delightful people through Twitter. Twitter has been the the plug, the great connect. And yeah. for all the people who think that social media is only a bad influence, no, I've met the most wonderful people. And Christian, how I have seen you first was you would say these uh, 
very insightful things, these very funny things, and it would catch my mind's eye. It would catch my attention on, on yeah. the back of comments, and and that's usually how I start to notice people is, hey, what's what's this brother talking about? You know yeah. what? And uh, and there was just these wise, insightful things, but never too much. It was what I love about you is you would say what you have to say, and then you would be done. Like mm-hmm. there was never. I need to fill up all the space. I, I don't need to be boisterous. I don't need right. to boom, I, I'm coming through. Right. And so right. that's what I have, I have witnessed in yeah. you, about you. And it's what has slowly drawn me to pay attention to you more and more and more. And uh, that's what I've loved about you. And then I've gotten to know your credentials later. But what I love is I didn't need to know those on the front end. But yes, Mm -hmm. you're a writer. Yes, you're a theologian. Yes, you have these degrees and credentials. But that's not how I first accessed you or interfaced with you. But yeah, yeah, so all that to say, welcome to the bottom, brother. (laughs) Um, Man. I love that. You got, me, you got me blushing up here. I appreciate you so much. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you're the you're the first brother on Black Coffee and Theology. Hey, so. <laughs> to the brothers and the sisters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I want to give you the floor for a second and say, who? Uh, let us know who you are, what's important to you, and how you show up in the world. What are some of the things that you would say about yourself? Um, that are important for the listeners that will be, you know, learning yeah. about you for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, of course, my name is Christian G. Crawford, and I am someone who um, recently got my graduate degree in uh, Master of Theological Studies in 2020. But beyond the degree and uh, my BS in uh, political science, and that can go multiple ways. <laughs> you know, I that know, can that's go. Right. You know, that can go multiple ways. But my BS in political science, I've got certificates in um, Black Church Studies and American Studies, and so I have been in a unique season that has brought a lot of trouble. I've been in a lot of ontological, that's a big word for internal, <laughs> right? The, these metaphysical aspects of myself, right? That, that try to make up the whole, um, but on a, on a layman terms, I have been in deep trouble as relates to my tension with the world, with family, with community, uh, with a God, um, so I show up as someone with uh, the spirit of rebellion on my heart, the spirit of resistance. Um, and it began when I began to question God about existence, about life, about rest beyond the river, which is death. Um, it began when I lost a friend to to cancer. Uh, It began when uh, I was, you know, supposed to become a licensed preacher, but never did. Uh, Because my mother 
saw something else in me and told me to wait, that she didn't want me to get too caught up in church politics, that she wanted me to go to undergrad and just live and just breathe and let God lead the way there. And so I now qualify myself as a public theologian, but beyond all of those things, I classify myself as someone who's just seeking to tell the truth, but I have not always been that way. So when we're talking about that BS in political science, um, I you know, thought I wanted to be a politician. I thought I wanted to be the president of the United States. And <laughs> look where that has got us. <laughs> uh, you know, you know um, I thought I wanted to engage in the political process in a way that would, you know, fix it on the inside. But when I got to divinity school uh, two and a half years ago, um, it awakened my imagination. Uh, it wasn't just a moral imagination. We often talk about moral imagination and the ways in which we need that particular type of imagination to press us into a beloved community, get us to a place where we finally can see each other as human, uh, not as binaries or genderized or um, sexualized or uh, any other type of category we want to put upon each other, but it's just simply human, as divine and nuanced and challenging and difficult, but still deserving of life. Yeah. But the political uh, was always tangling with authenticity and shackles. <laughs> True. And, and, and on one side, the authentic me wanted to be that person you see on Twitter who's who writes like he's free. <laughs> yeah. But the shackled me knew that political respectability had uh, entangled me to a certain identity and that if I wanted to become said politician or, you know, be uh, this particular image and I had to play a specific role, but it always found itself catering to whiteness and white supremacy. And so, you know, when we talk about this very troubling scripture of in my flesh will of no good thing, right? And we put that on the existential level. For me at that particular time in my life, I was battling with multiple fleshes, but I had no spirit. Yeah, yeah, and that, yeah. I hear you. Yeah. Ooh. And so theological education yeah. awakened that spirit in me. Right. And and it allowed me to be okay with a number of things. On one side, I can be okay with saying that sometimes God isn't good. <laughs> that yes indeed God does forsake. And that it's okay to challenge God in a way that either gets me closer to the divine or pushes me away that I might find God in a greater imagination. Yeah, and let me segue right there. That's a perfect segue. Uh, because on the table 
for this conversation because we're we're here <laughs> we're here so on the on the table is that we're going to be talking about is evolving in our theological understanding mm. and weaving and bringing history into our work of theology and we'll get into that piece especially that historian piece because yeah. i know that's important to you absolutely um, and we'll get into that a little bit uh later we'll, we'll you know that'll be like a side dish uh <laughs> that'll be part of the me meal but <clears throat> so you talk about that wrestling with god and that's something that's important to me especially the people who know me yeah but let's even back up a, a bit before we get there because that is so important <sighs> evolving in our theological understanding our framework what we think of when we think about god is very difficult right um right. regardless of whether you grew up black white latinx um indigenous uh regardless of the traditions that you have I, it seems to be very hard to shake what it what it is that you were introduced to God, whatever that message is, it's very hard, right? right? And you, in your, in your introduction, you talked about like theological education helped to illuminate some of these things. Also, you talked about the death of a friend, um, helped to spark some things, but let's talk about, you know, some of the, maybe some helpful on-ramps to evolving in our theological understanding, because I, I think right now we're in a time where there's these popular terms like deconstruction and right. there's these popular, you know, people are always worried about people who deconstruct and people right. who are wrestling. You talk about wrestling with God and is God good? Uh, he has to be good. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the things that we were taught about God have to be true. Uh, um, people are arguing about God's, um, the pronouns we use for God, right? And, and so there are all these things that are cluttering the airwaves. And so maybe just give us even a snippet of some things that are helping you in your wrestle and your evolution of, of faith, so to speak. Right, right. You know, so the one of the first things that you go through in theological education, um, well, this isn't for everyone, of course, but if you go to- Good disclaimer, <laughs> good disclaimer. You know, You're like, this might not be everybody. <laughs> this might not this, be everybody. This, this, this flesh, <laughs> this, this here flesh. flesh. Yeah, <laughs> this flesh and the spirit, right? Yeah, this exactly. Whole, this whole self. Um, you know, one of the things that we uh, went through was deconstruction, right? That it was, it was designed to- demystify and demythologize certain notions about God that we might have discovered in our youth. And uh, one of the first things that I went to Vanderbilt University, uh, Divinity School, and one of the first things um, that I learned that in some sense I had already known, but it was just good to hear. Uh, Dean Towns, I walked in the office the first day when we all were in person and no one had to wear a mask and COVID-19 hadn't 
gripped us uh, into this abysmal fate of destruction. Um, she, she said, chew the meat and spit out the bones, right? Chew the meat and spit out the bones. And so, you know, theological education exists not particularly as an avenue to deter you, but rather to transform you. And I think deterrence and transformation are different framings of how we Love should that. theological education. So uh, with transformation, um, I come from a Baptist tradition. My granddad is yeah. a rural um, Black Baptist deacon, right? In COVID-19, they started off in church over the landline, right? I so the, the ruralness of that particular depiction about rural church, I mean, COVID-19, where you don't have broadband access and you don't have technological advancement, right? Uh, what's the, I think the song says uh, uh, that Jesus is on the main line, tell them what you want. So, right, that main line framing began to take on some a, a, a real world reality. Um, and you can hear the, and I could hear the preacher when I was down there. Um, at one particular time uh, uh, last year, um, I, I could hear the preacher hoop. Uh, and one thing about Baptist churches in rural and urban communities, particularly in the South, you know, um, they uh, in go, in, in engage in this mystical phenomenon, this rhythmic, this blues we call the hoop. You know, I'm an Alabama boy. I am through and through Alabama. My family uh, is from Choctaw County. I was raised in Choctaw County and Birmingham, Alabama. And so, uh, and I realized that my, my introduction missed all of that. I just kind of jumped into the theological. And so I apologize, but, uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, I'm navigating, you know, I was talking about deconstruction. I'm navigating my construction as an embodied being in theological space. And so the Baptist tradition um, was at the center of my theological education. And so God had always been good. And um, we believed in the uh, inerrancy and infallibility of scripture. And we catered to uh, certain Calvinistic and Protestant principles, right? Um, that exude within the so-called white church and the black church. And so, um, you know, my tradition um, taught me the, the um, so-called ways of life that were um, anti-community, really. That, that, that at, the center, at the center of my tradition, right women weren't allowed to preach the center of my tradition right uh, people who were same gender loving folks could sing in the choir and they could engage in worship and church service but they were demonized um if quote-unquote discovered right mm. people in my tradition um understood god uh to be exclusive, 
right? That heaven had to only be obtained if um, you followed specific guidelines and devoted yourself fully to God uh, with limited questions or no questions at all. What's in my cup? What's in my cup? Now's the time of the podcast where I share with you what's in my cup. So what's in my cup for this pod? Y'all, water is in my cup. (laughs) This conversation, we taped this conversation in the rare time of the evening. And so water is what's in my cup. Yeah, and yeah, and and that is difficult, my friend, because and difficult is the limited word that I that is coming to the top of my spirit and that doesn't even begin to describe it right because when this notion of God is presented to us in some ways that God is an anchor right and that God has served us throughout the ages right Mm -hmm. there comes a point where there is an unraveling Mm-hmm. And that is, I hear in what you're saying, this pointing to of this unraveling happening in the midst of community and this communal mm-hmm. ethic of unraveling mm-hmm. as one begins to interrogate and push back and as questions begin to pop up like you know, uh, seeds that are sprouting in a garden. Uh, and as you begin to ask, what happens when God's not good to me, right? And right. you're taught not to ask those questions, right? Um, right. Right. <laughs> you're taught God is good. That is a fixed thing. You know, you're taught yeah. these Calvinistic principles, right? And your God is good. You know, Jesus Christ yesterday is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yeah, that sounds right. awesome. Okay. But can it free me? Yeah, yeah. This isn't banging the way it's supposed to be banging. Um, Yeah. And when we see in people, when we see that exclusive exclusivity piece, right, when we when we're seeing the marginalization happening in the walls of the church, that Jesus Christ being the same yesterday, today and forever, is it ringing off the way it's supposed to ring? Right, you know, right, right. because we're seeing the oppression right here. Mm-hmm. You know, the gates of hell seem, you know, you know, uh, is not going to prevail. Um, it's seeming like it's prevailing right here because yeah. um, we're seeing people being squelched right here in the church. Right, right, right. and and in deconstruction, you learn the consequences of interpretation. Yes, right? and so these consequences that. And you know, let's go in, let's go into history and get excited about this because get excited. Uh, enslaved religious culture, enslaved Christian culture specifically, and I want to I want to center us there. 
um, struggled with the duality. And on one side you had adapt adaptation, and then on another side you had um, not necessarily just resistance because adaptation in some sense is also resistance because you have to, um, in some sense, uh, enslave people developing language and understanding and being able to read adaptation in that sense is resistance, all right? Understanding the, uh, I've been, for the last month, I've been helping a professor and I can't go into detail about that because um, it's a, you know, a quiet project, but I've been helping a professor and one of my assignments was to go through the uh, slave narratives. So interviews of, of former enslaved people and there's so much nuance there. On one part, we have to be mindful that the WPA um, in many cases was an inauthentic source based off of the people who were coming to the front doors of enslaved people. Define what WPA is. The WPA was um, was defined by uh, FDR. And what does WPA mean? Oh, the, the, the Writers Project Association. The Writers Project Association was uh, uh, a, a project within the Great New Deal designed to give people jobs during one of the most devastating economic realities of American history. And what they did in 1936 to 1938s, they went to interview formerly enslaved people um, or formerly enslaved um, people's children about the, the horrors of enslavement. And, and one thing that has been so uh, real about the Black community is that um, what happens in the South stays in this house and uh, that everybody can't know about our secrets. And so we know that in many cases, enslaved people were holding back, but we also know that formerly, formerly, excuse me, formerly enslaved people were holding back. We know that in many cases, formerly enslaved people were holding back, but we also know that uh, some of them had on masks, maybe all of them had on masks to kind of cold the, the realness of those days. But adaptation and this type of radical resistance that gave us Denmark Vesey uh, and Gabriel Prosser and Nat Turner, um, they tell us how Blackness and Black Christianness has been in an ever-growing process of becoming and discovery. But in that process of becoming and discovery, we found ourselves uh, presented by the roadblocks and the blockades of economic and spiritual and social destruction from the uh, from the police to poverty, we find ourselves constantly trying to climb a ladder that has no bars attached to it. And so that struggle uh, has caused many of us over uh, two, three centuries to conform to ideologies, to patriarchy, uh, to duality. Yeah. yeah. 
that ostracize our full humanity just so that we can exist fully in this place we call America. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and, and that's, that's the struggle. So when we're talking about homophobia in the black church, when we're talking about sexism in the black church, when we're talking about the struggles of church, hashtag church hurt, when we're talking about the inability of uh, people within our community to understand what deconstruction looks like and how deconstruction can actually free us, we're talking about centuries of white supremacy and the re- uh, shaping of that through Black ideology or Black identity to try to make sense of the world and make sense of America. Uh, but in that process, we've been killing ourselves yeah. and killing our community. What I love about this and why I wanted to bring you on, <laughs> among thousands of reasons, uh, <laughs> one, just because I enjoy you, <laughs> oh, is uh, truly, is because often the word deconstruction has become so co-opted and mostly taken by our white siblings. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. It's why I've almost divested from the word because it's like, y'all have it. <laughs> uh, because it, it, with it becomes this network of concerns and cares and wrestles that don't fully or or at all capture what we're talking about right here. Uh, because I, I often say Black people are deconstructing their faith for totally different reasons mm -hmm. than our white siblings are deconstructing their faith. And what I love about what we're dancing around, what we're riffing on is we have completely different concerns that lead us to deconstruct from the Christian faith, mm -hmm. to question God. And you can't throw us on a deconstruction panel. That's yeah. one. You can't just say, hey, y'all deconstructing because y'all want to sin. That's that's something that people say often. Maybe mm -hmm. do not say that to Black Christians <laughs> because uh -huh. we do not say that to Black people deconstructing their faith. If Black people are on their way out of the church door, it is not a light matter. Yeah. If you find a Black atheist, do not say, oh, it's probably because you want to sin. It's probably historical reasons. They got church hurt. They got, and it's not, yeah. it's yeah. a lot. And so that's one. Another thing that I want to say of, of what you're bringing to the table is what I find even among lay people is the average black Christian is expected to know a level of history, both church history, American history, and Christian history, and black Christian history. That is astounding to me. Like right. the level of expertise just from the lay black person is astounding. And then it just increases with the level of, uh, study and why that is important to me and why that makes me notice is every day that I am on social media, especially yeah. Twitter, because yeah. someone like yourself will say all of these facts, you have all this nuance, you, you know all these things because you've studied. Right. And in the, the average redacted will just say, hey, I disagree. 
<laughs> and right. I'm like, we are not the same. <laughs> we are not the same. Right. And it's like the like even probably before you even got one of these degrees, your level of knowledge that you were expected to know just from being relatively aware as a as a black believer was right. probably more than your counterparts. Right. And why I'm illuminating that for this podcast, it feels highly insulting when we're in conversations with our, our wider brethren, when we're in these conversations, when we're, when we're not treated according to our knowledge, and then let alone if we have degrees. <laughs> and, 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 and I also, and, and to that point, I love what you said about how this word deconstruction has in some sense become numbing, because if we historicize this, deconstruction is what led Nat Turner yes, to rebellion in Southampton, Virginia. Deconstruction yes. is what gave birth to the to, to, to the AME church when Absalom Jones and Richard Wright, they walk out of George Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia and create their own space. So deconstruction yes. is the place where the uh, secret meetings begin and the secret meetings uh, then give way to plots of resistance and plots of rebellion. And not just, you know, it's not just about uh, this, you know, ecstasy or this, you know, this, 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 just this singular framing of, 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 of spiritual exuberance. No, it deconstruction is about communal resistance that has fortified the church. But what we see today is that it has not sustained the church because we have metamorphosed ourselves into these narratives about what church should be, should be like and who God should be because we believe uh, that we know more than God. And I'm not yeah. saying me and you, but I'm yeah. saying that even if we use the scripture where it says that we don't know all the ways of God, right? Um, that God's ways aren't our ways and that God's thoughts aren't our thoughts. For some reason, when we talk about committing ourselves to orthodoxy, we are saying that human beings possess a greater level uh, to God than God possesses over God's self. That's problematic. You are absolutely right. You see, and I'm getting so I wanted to be calm this whole, like this it, whole no. podcast, right? No, you're because as I told you, I've had a very, very difficult day, but yeah. you've got me fired up, right? Let's now. go, preacher, <laughs> preach. No, and and why I want to connect this history piece is I is like starting an engine. So now I got you started because I wanted to connect you to the history piece and even to the the first people deconstructing the Christian faith on American soil. Right. Some of the some I will say some of the first people were were black slaves, right? Because right. they were able to bring the, their cosmologies and their cosmological understandings. Right. They were able to hear narratives and understandings of divine. They're like, nah, something not making sense. Some of this, and they were it, Nat Turner and others were like. Some, something about this is not right. <laughs> and there was a communal resistance. Right. Frederick Douglass was like, mm -mm. <laughs> yeah. some, this is not clean. is not clean. He was like, <laughs> I like Christ. Y'all going to. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if there is that, 
y'all are going there. You know, <laughs> <laughs> there is that. Y'all is not going where I'm going. I can tell you that. And, 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 and even, you know, as uh, as the song says, I got shoes, you got shoes, all of God's children got shoes, mm. but everybody uh, talking about heaven ain't got shoes. Everybody talking about heaven ain't going there, right? And so, you know, what is this idea of heaven? And, and you know, how do we take it from this, this, uh, 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 extraordinary to this very simple to this very human that everyone deserves food on their table that everyone deserves health care that everyone deserves love that everyone deserves compassion that 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 the government doesn't own women's bodies that the government doesn't own black women's bodies and so how do we put heaven here so that we can say hell you can go to hell yeah and i think that that is what's most important to me you know you know, the framing of this conversation was evolving in our theological understanding. I think as a young man, I was obsessed with, um, I was in kind of like reformed camps, you know, and I was mm -hmm. trying to uh, fill my mind with cerebral thoughts. And I had certain, you know, men of God that I wanted to be like, and I just wanted to, you know, be this man of God that, was a fiery preacher in that uh, was Calvinistic. And uh, that was during the day where you, a lot of the rappers were, uh, black rappers were becoming more reformed. And um, that's a podcast for a different day. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I love what you've brought it to is this communal space. And that became my anchor and my focus and the banner that in, in my North Star, as I started to see my theological underpinnings wasn't about filling my mind with thoughts and becoming filled with how smart can I be? How much, how much will people think I'm awesome? Which had been how I had thought of theology before. And now my theology was very much communal based. And you know, you you a minute ago had ta talked about uh, deconstruction in light of community and, right. and deconstruction in light of communal ethics and care. And for me, evolving in my theological praxis has very much been tethered to if it's not connected to my community, I don't care. And even as I sit in classes and people say all this heady stuff, my filter is through, what does this mean for my community? I'm black. Yeah. Like I'm literally black. Right. <laughs> like right. If I, you know, and I wrote this paper recently uh, on um, bread for the hungry and that's, literally how I think of theology now if I can't feed it to the hungry and the I yo you that's can gospel. keep it yeah like I you know that, if we're like that's, that's not only gospel but that's black power right yeah, that's, okay. that's that's food that's black panther food program huh mm -hmm. that's that's MLK's poor people's campaign huh mm -hmm. 
that's that's Malcolm X's deconstruction of Christianity, seeing how the food, the manner, the spiritual manner provided by this framing of Christianity continue to put uh, black people in an assimilating construct that prevented them from getting free. And so the question tonight becomes, how are we going to get free from the manna that's been killing us? How are we gonna get free from the manna that's been shackling us? Because all bread ain't good bread. This reading by Catherine Keller comes from her book on the mystery, Discerning Divinity in Process. The calls to be quiet, to listen, to meditate, or to pay attention are not orders of silence or censorship. Theology needs breathing room between its words. The better to speak them. Black Coffee and Theology Pod is a production of Three Black Men, the podcast about theology, culture, and the world around us. Follow us on Twitter at Three Black Men. If you like the content that you are receiving here and want to receive more, whether that is in longer conversations, essays, devotions, and videos from either myself, Sam, or Trey, please sign up for for our Patreon at patreon.com slash three black men. Don't forget to like, rate, and review Black Coffee and Theology Pod as well as Three Black Men.